Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants, has an extra friend uh, this week. It is Heather Prusak from Channel 4, WIVB, and uh, joining us uh, as usual is Matthew Fairburn, covers the bills for The Athletic, and Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Global Systems. And John Scott. And John Scott. There goes John Scott from Spectrum. Special appearance. Yeah, we'll see more. Hopefully we see an additional cameo from John a little bit later. I'm, I'm happy with him coming on and, and adding his insight, but uh, he seems unwilling. Maybe Otto. Maybe we can even get Otto in here, too. All right. That's fine. Uh, we're a family program. Um, well, we have family members on the program. It might not necessarily be for family uh, consumption. Uh, <laughs> Not everyone in the family would uh, would uh, enjoy this t- type of content. Um, the F doesn't stand for family. We'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, so I'm just, uh, well, I guess we should uh, say a few introductory uh, remarks. Uh, Heather Prusak has been in Western New York for a long time. All the uh, viewers on YouTube, if you're watching uh, Tim Graham and Friends uh, that way or listening to the podcast on your platform of choice, uh, know Heather from her time at Channel 2 also, uh, but she is the person who props me up on Sundays on Buffalo <laughs> Kickoff Live, and um, I am I am her Robin. She's uh, I am the Robin to her Batman, and uh, we have so, fun. She's, uh, she's agreed to come on the show and tell some secrets. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we have fun. I think the word shenanigans is something that we say a decent amount and other things that I can't repeat right now, but you know. <laughs> I like the idea. We had some laughter in the studio that we were having a we good do. time in the show on Friday night and they should cut a promo with us having fun because, I mean, no, no fault of their own. It's generally company policy, but I don't see the other stations even in the same room together. It's all floating heads uh, via Zoom. So we actually get in the studio and give some some real analysis on the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, it's nice that uh, it's nice that Channel Four lets us actually be in person, socially distancing, of course. Uh, but that is nice that we don't just have to rely on Zoom and a computer screen to see each other. So it's we have a good time on Buffalo Kickoff Live. Like this fucking podcast. It is like a podcast. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So, all right. A lot happened over the weekend, and uh, we've had a couple of days to digest it. I don't know that we need to get into what happened against the Denver Broncos. It was such a lopsided game. The Denver Broncos also are the type of opponent that, do we really care? Um, There's really not much to get into X's and O's wise. The Bills... The, the main story being that they clinched to the division title for the first time in 25 years. And we saw the reaction uh, from Bills fans out at the airport. And I think that what we're seeing too, uh, another topic that I'd like to get into, the Carolina Panthers today fired general manager Marty Herney. And the Bills could be on the verge of having their staff get raided. That won't be the only opening. We've had uh, Lake Dawson. He's the assistant director of college scouting for the Bills. His name has already popped up as a possible candidate for the GM opening in Carolina. Uh, there will be other staffs that uh, get axed uh, as soon as the season's over. And the Bills, 
as we've praised Brandon Bean on this show and, and wherever else I can, has been masterful at assembling a brain trust uh, within that front office of former general managers. There's a lot of NFL experience. Guys like Brian Gain, Joe Shane, Dan Morgan, Lake Dawson, throw in some other names, guys, because I'm going to forget uh, uh, Dennis Malik Hickey, Boyd. the former general manager. Malik Boyd's been around a while. Malik Terrence Boyd. Gray, yeah, Terrence Scott. Gray. It's, uh, there are so many... So many options. I don't think that Brandon Bean's going to be able to keep this band together. And then Sean McDermott. Maybe Leslie Frazier starts getting some love again. He didn't get any interviews last year, but Brian Dable, a lot of people assume he's gone. So I guess since I'm on a roll, just rattling off names there, let's, let's stick with that topic. What do we think uh, regarding the Bills and continuity? You know, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse successes because while it's great what the bills are doing and it's great the success they're having and they're winning um then it's also the curse part of it is what you said that these coaches and this front office they're going to get attention from other teams and other opportunities so it's really tough when you're trying to sustain success and you're having it but then it's just normal that (laughs) guys are going to leave for other opportunities. I know Brandon Bean said on his zoom call after he signed his contract extension that he, he surrounds himself with people that are smarter than him. And as we all mentioned, the kind of uh, experience that's in that front office, it's, it's tough when now uh, you have guys that are going to potentially leave. And I'm sure that some of them will. So uh, yeah, I mean, I I would say success is just a, it's a blessing and a curse, I guess. I think the most significant potential loss is probably Brian Dable at this point. Um, On the field, immediate impact that would be felt. uh, Losing Brian Dable would be somewhat of a a tough transition, I think. You know, there's the the logical internal replacement of Ken Dorsey to maintain some consistency in how Josh Allen is coached. Uh, And it's not to take away from Josh Allen and what he's done, but I think Brian Dable – deserves a lot of credit for the way this offense is operating. And you can't really overestimate how important that play caller quarterback relationship is. Uh, You can look any number of places, Philadelphia, Minnesota, you know, the way the offense can go up and down, depending on who's calling the shots. The front office, I think, was inevitable basically from the start because of what Tim mentioned, that these guys all came in with a, a, you know, strong resume Dan Morgan was, you know, kind of a future GM before he ever stepped foot in the offices at One Bills Drive. Joe Shane's been working his way up. Uh, Lake Dawson had GM interviews. Uh, Dennis Hickey was a GM. So, you know, there's that was natural. But I think that's uh, just think of all the names we just rattled off in that front office. I think the front office is more than deep enough to withstand Uh, these losses you think when they started they had Brian Gain as their director of player personnel he leaves to take the GM job at the Texans they hire Dan Morgan to replace him and then they get Brian Gain back so it's like they basically already have an extra you know guy built into the front office from from where they were forgive me if I'm wrong and and correct me please but I mean we're we're doing this we're taping this live and I can't go back and look it up but didn't Brian Gain interview for the job that Brandon Bean got he they, may wasn't have. that a he situation where they got them both? Am I'm I, pretty sure. Am I not remembering that right? I think 
You might be right. I don't. I, I don't so. know for sure off the top of my head. I know it was a, a pretty small list of people that interviewed. I think Lake Dawson turned down the GM job with the Miami Dolphins. Right. So he's been on people's radar for a long time. Um, it's it's interesting how the the staff is constructed. Two of the most important people to what they've been doing. Uh, Malik Boyd is the director of pro personnel, and they've been a plus in free agency over the last few years. And then Terrence Gray is the director of college scouting, but it's the assistant director of college scouting, Lake Dawson, kind of getting a lot of these, um, you know, his name's getting thrown around in a lot of these GM openings. So uh, I think the front office can handle this, even if uh, they're not going to lose all of them. It's not like there's five general manager openings right now. There's some quality candidates out there outside of Buffalo. Um, There seems to be some talk Nick Casario could get, a potential spot. Um, you know, he works with the Patriots now. Um, so there's maybe they lose one tops two. two would be, you know, pretty significant if they lost two, but I, they have the people in place to make it work and withstand that it's more the, the coaches, I think that would have a more immediate on field impact. I think Brandon beans respected enough and connected enough around the league and people see what they're building that, it would be viewed as an attractive place to work in the front office and probably uh, in the coaching staff as well. Now that they have a quarterback and, and some receivers making some noise. I will say if real, real quick on the point about Brian Dable, if they do lose him, I will say, well, it's going to be a loss that's felt with this offense. If there is a time to lose him, at least it's now with Josh Allen going, he'd be going in a year four instead of like, maybe year two or earlier in his development. I or think had he that, gotten the job last year with Cleveland when yeah, he with it, and then yes, they yes. don't have this building, this obvious, this is a foundational season for Josh Allen. We'll look back mm-hmm. on this as yes. things turn out as, you know, when it happened. So, so that's, that's, true. that's what I will say is that if there is any silver lining, if they do lose Brian Dable, at least it's now at this point in Josh Allen's development where he's really starting to turn a corner and he's really taking off instead of, earlier, or again, as you mentioned, Tim, last year. Yeah, I think you you now have a quarterback who can provide his input to whoever the offensive coordinator is. He has more ownership of what he's doing and what the offense is doing. Clearly, there's a relationship that's developed between not just Josh Allen and Brian Dable, but also Ken Dorsey with both of those guys. And so I know there's a lot of issues surrounding how – those top level coordinators are hired um, the lack of diversity in those spots, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And so people might look at it a certain way. If Ken Dorsey, the quarterback's coach who's white just gets bumped right up into that seat, but it also happens to be, they're going to handle this very delicately. I would imagine if Brian Dable leaves because they had so much success and they probably don't want to change a thing about it. And, some of that will be out of their control if somebody hires Dable, but Ken Dorsey does make the most logical sense in terms of, um, I don't know how much play calling he's done uh, over his time. He's had kind of an interesting career bouncing around, but you know that's going to be an adjustment, but I do think he just makes the most sense. Brian Gain did interview with the Bills. Uh, I did look it up. Not only was that reported, the Bills actually announced it. So back in May, 2017, that's a coup. That's like um, it's like when you get Rex Ryan and Greg Roman. Yes, and Greg Roman lasted what five weeks or whatever it was. 
Yeah, what a what a bonus that was. <laughs> Two for and, one. Uh, Greg Roman almost run out of Baltimore earlier this year. Imagine Greg Roman gets that head coaching job instead of Rex Ryan. Oof. But Still is Brian Dable another Greg Roman in the sense of not, you know, of the sense of the guy who gets mentioned by like, oh, he'll be a head coach someday. I don't know that Greg Roman's going to be a head coach now. It hasn't happened yet. Greg Roman um, should never be a head coach. That's my <laughs> opinion. Unless unless he changes his stripes dramatically at some point. Um, from what I've heard about him as a behind-the-scenes kind of manipulator, I think that would be a disaster waiting to happen. I think you could probably – there was some of that – comparison to be drawn with Brian Dable like is this guy ready to lead a program it's a different thing than just being a play caller but I do think he's grown a lot since his first couple stints Uh, he's moved around he's separated himself from Bill Belichick made some mistakes Derek Anderson says he's a completely different guy uh, in Buffalo than he was in Cleveland just in terms of not being as much of a hard ass and being more flexible to what players want so I don't want to drop him in the Greg Roman bucket because when every time Greg Roman's name comes up, I roll my eyes. He's probably the problem in Baltimore, not the the one, you know, making things work. It is always interesting when you talk about coordinators becoming head coaches because you've seen it work out sometimes, but I feel like there's also so many scenarios where a coordinator doesn't necessarily make a good head coach. So um, I always think that's interesting to see uh, that transition and if it does, in fact, end up working out. Yeah, I think really where Brian Dable changed was when he was with Cleveland. And that is when Eric Mangini, at the very end, went through this metamorphosis where he decided it really backfired on me to come to Cleveland and try to be the next Bill Belichick. And he isolated different people. He froze out the media. He was trying to just imitate Bill Belichick. And he even made the media rounds admitting this and said, I need to change and be more of myself and not just be an a-hole because that's what I saw Bill Belichick do. Um, and I think that Brian Dable being on that staff kind of saw that too, is that if I want a future in this, in this industry, uh, if I want to, I, I can't just try to imitate. I have to be myself. I have to make friends. I have to be nice. I have to network a little bit. Uh, I have to be able to small talk with the media, you know, and um, Mangini learned that lesson way too late. Uh, that you need to be, you need to have a lot of diplomacy in the role of a head coach, both inside your organization and outside your organization in your, in your communications and your dealings. Bill Belichick was able to get away with it because he won. He won championships right away. And before anybody really caught on to his act, he already had a couple Lombardi trophies. Um, well, say for Cleveland. I mean, they hated him in Cleveland because of what he did with Bernie Kosar, and, but he was still pretty successful there. Um, and had the bill had the Browns not moved to Baltimore, he might have remained their head coach. Anyways, I digress. Um, Jonah, your thoughts on any of this? Well, I think Matt made a lot of the points I wanted to make, but I would say that this is the natural order of things. If you have a winning program in professional sports and college and anything, your uh, assistant coaches and assistant front office personnel is probably going to get poached by other organizations. And it's a worrisome sign if that doesn't happen. So I, I, if I'm a Bills fan, I can't be too worried about that happening and what the effect of that would be. But it would be concerning if there's too much turnover in one offseason. If you lose the offensive and defensive coordinator and you lose multiple people and you're trying to replace them, 
There's only going to be a limited pool of people who are available to come in and replace those jobs. Too much disruption, too much turnover at the same time could have a negative effect on next season. I don't know where that would manifest, but I don't think it would be an ideal situation to have to replace several of these high-ranking positions. I think the numbers can... tell us that won't happen, right? Like you can't lose all of them. Nobody's looking at the sure. Bills as such a, you know, model of success that they're going to say we have to have every single piece of it. That doesn't even happen to the best of teams. Um, so I don't. I think there's a natural fear for Bills fans when it's like, oh my God, this has never happened. What's going on? Like our well, whole- Bills fans also yeah. think the worst. Like they're also exactly. going to go. They're also going to go to the extreme other end of the spectrum too, where the uh, the doubts and all of the bad memories kind of creep in. Because how are we going to replace Heath Farwell? Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is this is going to be a mess. There's no way we. Can, you know, if Leslie Frazier were say to goodbye leave, to Chad O'Shea, like right. You know. So I think. Yeah. They'll maybe they lose. What do we think? Over under two and a half between the front office and the coaching staff. I'd put the over-under at two and a half, and I might take You can really only lose your coordinators if they get jobs as promotions, right? So even the assistants, unless even if they want to get interviewed, if somebody wants to interview Ken Dorsey to be offensive coordinator, the the Bills can deny that because that's not – it's the only thing because he's under contract. Sure, I mean, but you could lose – I mean, I don't like, know everybody's contract exactly, but the only thing that you can't – that you must permit is – is a coach getting a chance to a head coaching job, right? Right. And the same, I think. There's only so many, there's only going to be so many openings too. And that's the thing. They're not going to take a lateral move. So I guess that, that might be in their favor too, is how many openings are there actually going to be? I think there's a similar rule in the front office too, where, you know, you could lose like Brian Dable and Joe Shane to the Texans or something like that, where they're like a package deal. You could also potentially see a scenario where like Joe Shane goes somewhere and tries to take Dan Morgan, but I think Dan Morgan would probably stay put knowing that his turn's coming. And maybe the only way he could pull that off is if it's somebody lower down the ladder that Joe Shane wanted to, to pull from and, and take with him as like an assistant or director of player personnel. It'll be interesting too, uh, to see how Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean handle these uh, situations, these other, these other types of situations where they can say, no and deny the chance to interview but should they and the reason i bring that up is because there ha- there are some organizations or people within them that don't want to be known as a place you don't want to go cuz you're not going to get the upward mobility and this is a discussion i've had um mostly it's a coaching thing than it is front office but a, a coach to deny uh, an assistant the chance to interview somewhere else is that a place you want to work and for morale, and it, it, although it might suck to lose an assistant uh, to be to go somewhere else. Could be a bad look. It's a reputation thing of you want your people to be happy. You want them to sign up and work. I want, if I'm Sean McDermott, I'd say, I want people to come and work on my staff and be happy and think that they have the chance to um, improve themselves, even if it's at our expense, because that's the right thing to do versus, oh, no, you're not going anywhere because you're under contract. That's why. And then do you want that guy to be miserable on your staff? I mean, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that that part of it because there are different ways to do it. The other and interesting how- thing is that we hear a lot of buzz about Brian Dable, rightly so, because the offense and Josh Allen are performing so well. But the messaging 
out of the Bills has mostly been that Leslie Frazier is the guy that's ready for his next head coaching opportunity, and he's been a key to the success on the defense and somebody that it feels like Sean McDermott thinks is head coach material. And it's kind of interesting to see that dynamic where it seems like the organization maybe thinks one person is a better candidate than the other, and the national perception is, is maybe opposite. Yeah, that's what you're looking for. Like, it depends what you want. If you want that steady hand leader of the program, guy who's been there and seen a lot, I think Leslie Frazier makes more sense than Brian Dable. But the guy that's been more important to the Bills uh, and their on-field success has been Brian Dable. There's also the element of this that, you know, the new Rooney rule, um, you know, that's been instituted, you know, the adaptation to it where the team gets a third-round pick if – another team hires a minority out of their building. That could be two for the Bills if Leslie Frazier and Lake Dawson get hired um, into uh, general manager or head coaching roles. So there's also age comes into this too. I mean, like, I feel like you look around the league and I feel like so many teams are going more towards that young up and coming uh, head coach guy for their for their team and when you're weighing the two options of yes Leslie Frazier has all this experience but Brian Dable could be that more uh, attractive pick because of you know he's on the upswing he's again that that young up-and-coming coach so I I think that's a trend that we're also seeing around the league right now and Brian Dable has those Hollywood good looks (laughs) I think it would have been interesting had the Browns hired him uh, and a uh, fan base maybe not knowing uh, the, the difference between him and the previous coach because um, yeah. they, they are of similar <laughs> similar features. Yes. Uh, similar um, follicle uh, features. And maybe, uh, you know, around the belt line also. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a point I was going to make and I've uh, now I'm thinking of. Well, how picky do you think these guys will be? How picky should Brian Dable be? Should he cash in while he's there's going to be charges? Yeah, I think you get a chance at a head there's coach job. You have to take it. Um, Look at the jobs available. The Jaguars might get Trevor Lawrence. The Chargers had or Chargers isn't open yet, but we assume Anthony Lynn could be done. Justin Herbert's sitting waiting there. Deshaun Watson's waiting in Houston. Matthew Stafford in Detroit. The Lions. Like there's some good, um, you know, and then. You know, I, I don't know. I think there's Brian some good, Dable uh, could offers. have multiple offers. He could he could have to fight off. I mean, his his um, his agent is uh, Bob Lamont, who is uh, one of the big um, string pullers around the NFL in terms of getting his guys hired, getting an interest in them. Um, he, he's it's he's he's in the wheelhouse of what the NFL wants from its head coaches right now. He's. He hasn't had the job before, so he doesn't have somebody else. He doesn't have a stink on him from some previous job. Um, he's worked with a young quarterback that he has really helped take from um, a certain stigma of not of being inaccurate. He can. There's so much he can go into an interview with and point he to scout as him. look at all look at what I've done. And and there are owners and general managers who are going to look at this and say, please do this with our organization you especially with the out. teams you just mentioned we, w- with the quarterbacks you just mentioned and the teams you just mentioned if they're looking for a guy that has experience developing and making a quarterback into uh the best version that he can be and what he's done with josh allen those teams jets chargers chargers again that 
job isn't open, but those are two teams that are dealing with trying to develop a young quarterback. Yeah, defensive defensive uh, coaches really aren't being hired as head coaches. I know you can say Brian Flores a couple years ago, Vic Fangio, but teams really, by and large, are just looking at offensive-minded coaches. And, of course, Sean McDermott's worked out. He's a defensive-minded coach, but you know, people are looking for that lightning in a bottle. And, and Robert uh, Salah is getting some love, the, um, yes. yeah. the 49ers defensive coordinator. He's probably the hottest defensive name on the market at the moment but by and large you're right it's going to be it's going to lean offense I mean a guy like Eric the enemy I mean I'm sure that he's going to get some looks too once again I know he did last season I'm actually kind of surprised he didn't land anywhere but um yeah that's another name that that kind of pops out is these offensive minded guys that are you know in line or should be in line for a head coaching job soon change of topic here um as we still revel in the Bills division clinching victory over the Denver Broncos on Saturday. Uh, The scene out at uh, Buffalo Niagara International Airport or not tech, I don't know, whatever it is, those, uh, I guess it's the airport, but it was off into those, you know, cargo areas that is, I guess, I don't know. I've gone just down a mental rabbit hole just now as to what technically that property is. It's the airport. airport. It's the airport. This happened at the airport. Uh, The thousands of Bills fans that showed up on Saturday night, um, their intentions pure, uh, I think, mostly, uh, although there is an element of, hey, look at us, more than uh, I'm out here because I love my team so much. Um, We can get into that nuance if you'd like. Um. I'm just going to throw this out on the floor. What do, what do we think about the scene that we saw uh, early Sunday morning when the Bills landed uh, on their flight back from Denver? <sighs> Am I going to take the lead here? Am I, well, do, I do we need somebody one? to argue the Bills fan side? Because I feel like maybe all four of us are going to be on the same side I here. Think- now. <laughs> I'll, I'll put on my Zubaz hat and counter-argue you guys. That's you, right. you can be devil's advocate on this, on this, uh, in this roundtable here. Um, I, I think it's it's dumb on multiple accounts. I think the primary the primary issue for the Buffalo Bills would be stay away from us. Um, with everything that's going on uh, with COVID and teams being derailed uh, for reasons out of their control, um, do not yell into our open windows. Players, do not roll down your windows and let people yell in your car. Um, stay away from us. We don't want to get sick. That's number one. And then number two is the, um, the message this sends to Governor Cuomo, who is still deciding whether or not he wants to allow Bills fans into the stadium uh, for the playoffs. And you could say, and you could rationalize and say, well, we were masked and we, but clearly not social distancing. And I think you look at the photos, there were a lot of people not wearing masks, including children. Including Um, a lot of the people that were up close and personal with the players screaming into vehicles with no masks. Did not have masks on or they were pulling them down so they could yell. Um, So you may say, what does this matter as to whether or not the governor wants to execute the bill's plan that they've put forth, their proposal for having fans in the stadium? Well, what it says, says to me, if I'm the governor, is can Bill's fans be trusted to be responsible? 
And whether or not you agree with that, adding that variable to the governor's decision was not smart. I also just think it show it sends a message of we're not taking this seriously. And you look at the protocols, you look at the, you know, the spikes and the numbers, and we just went through a minor shutdown with gyms and salons and then it, you know, they're allowed to be back open. But when, if you're governor Cuomo and you're looking at this scene and these are the same fans that want to be allowed back into the stadium, it just doesn't, it doesn't send a good message of, Hey, we're taking things seriously that you're saying about social distancing, about wearing masks, because again, not everyone was wearing masks in those pictures. And I just think it would be really, it'd be very unfortunate if, if a player or group of players or whoever come down with COVID because of the group of fans that was there, it would be ironic and unfortunate if that is why a player gets sick going into the postseason. Um, you know, I think Tim on, on Buffalo kickoff live a couple weeks ago, I think it was, we did final thoughts. And I know our final thought was going down the stretch of the regular season, going into the playoffs, they need to take every protocol and every safety measure as as seriously as possible to make sure that you don't have an outbreak on the team in a position group to be in a situation where Josh Allen comes down with COVID and you're going into the playoffs or, or anybody. I mean, it's just, it's anybody. Could you um, imagine? Could you imagine if Josh Allen gets COVID because of this fan gathering? Um, so it's just, you know, I, I understand you want to go cheer on the team. It's a big deal. And that's great. That's awesome. But hmm. yeah, it's, I can't imagine that Sean McDermott is overly thrilled with it. He's had now, by the time he speaks this afternoon, he'll have had a long time to craft his message. I'm sure he'll do it very carefully because, you know, he loves to, um, and rightfully so, pump up the fan base uh, and and give them lots of love, especially in a year like this one when they can't be connected to the team in the same way. So I know he loves that part of it. But I was reminded of, uh, I did a story earlier this year when the Jaguars beat the Bills in the playoffs and got back to Jacksonville. This was like 95 that year, um, that famous year, the last year the Bills won the AFCs. They got back to Jacksonville. They used to fly just through the airport, and the scene was insanity. And Tom Coughlin said to the players, we are never flying through this terminal again. Like, we will, we're not going to subject ourselves to that ever again. That was not in a pandemic. Uh, that was not when – you know, Sean McDermott has been very, um, you know, hyper paranoid about everything involving COVID because that he does not want that to screw up a very good season. And I will say this, too. I, I want to make a point that some reporters and some and some players stoked the fire on this, right? There were a lot of questions in the, in the post game of like, what is, what do you expect it to be like at the airport? And Micah Hyde said, it's going to be a party. There might be more fans there than 17. Do you think it might be? I want to challenge them to have more fans tonight than 17 when we made the playoffs. That was the point I was going to make too, is that players were like, 
players were encouraged. And then you had the the tweets from from reporters. This is when the 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 plane lands and the videos of look at all the people that are already here. And and then that just creates, especially among the younger crowd who probably doesn't take COVID as seriously because they are in their twenties and YOLO and everything else. They're like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. It's, it's a Saturday night. I don't have to work tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to go. And then it just becomes an excuse to party. It becomes a performative thing for a lot of fans to say, yeah, look at us. We're the best fans. There's probably a good chunk of people that were there that hung in the back, wore masks, and legitimately just wanted to feel some sort of connection to the team. And that's totally fine. You're outside. You're wearing a mask. Like, Risk is probably pretty low, but for the big mob scenes, apparently there was a DJ, like a, a lot of stuff that just like, and for the the players and not all of them, but I think that was mildly reckless on Micah Hyde's part. And I give John Feliciano a lot of credit because he almost like bristled when somebody asked him about the airport. He's like, man, I, I, I'm sure it's going to be crazy, but please wear your masks. Please. Like we want you guys there in the stadium. We don't necessarily. There was some pushback from fans. I, I just had a tweet yesterday, just as like a, I was thinking out loud regarding Cuomo and what he might have thought by of what he saw. And I had some pushback from fans uh, responding to me on Twitter saying everybody was wearing their masks. Well, first off, everybody wasn't. And if you take a look at uh, you know BuffaloNews.com had a photo gallery from Jim McCoy of the scene. You don't have to look hard for people not wearing masks. I would say, I mean, just feeling from that photo and it's from people who were around, um, you know, the front of the barriers for 30 to 40% were not. And I'm talking about children of, you know, 10 years old, they, you know, parents standing there, you know, people sitting there with a pile of beer cans also. I mean, it was, you got an idea of really what this thing was all about, but there, Christmas you don't is have in to five days, hard. by the way, Chris from Saturday, Christmas is right in the sweet spot of the incubation period. So all these people presumably are going to have Christmas with their families, their older relatives, like from a more practical community standpoint of what this means. Sure. The bills could get it and it could ruin their season. And Oh no, some people are probably going to die because of Saturday night. That may sound dramatic and alarmist. We'll never know who did or who, you know, or, you know, how to, you know, connect the dots there. But that's a lot of people that are probably going to be going home to their families in five to seven. I'm, I'm honestly surprised that um, there weren't, that this was allowed. I, I'm kind of surprised that there wasn't any kind of barriers or any way to stop this, given that you knew it was coming. I guess that, that I was, I was surprised by that. There were some metal barriers and you can see them pretty well in um, Jim McCoy's photos. I yeah, to I mean, check them out. But that means to me, that's almost like double damning. That means that the police, that's, that was their preparation for it. When maybe their preparation should have been everybody clear out. You're not allowed to that, congregate here. That's my point. R- ride around that I'm in circles with your, with your lights on yes. constantly saying, no, you can't gather here. You have to leave. How did they get so close yeah. to the cars? That's what I want to know. Like the cars have to drive through there. They have to eventually leave the confines of that gated area. I feel like they they have have to do something about that. That was the most ridiculous part of it to me. The fact that somebody can be that close to Josh Allen, like, and, and these players pandemic or no pandemic, that's like borderline unsafe. And I, you know, 
again, they're all posting it on Instagram and they're loving it and they're eating it up and they haven't had fans in the stadium all year. And I think what, you know, to Heather's question of like, why wasn't this stopped? Why haven't we seen more pushback on it? Like Poland cars didn't really say anything about it. And, and there's nothing like that. Everything has become so sensitive to the touch this year, every little issue that if you look at the response nationally to people tweeting about all these bills fans, they're thinking, what the hell are these people doing? Locally, it's come on, lighten up, let us enjoy this team. Like, don't be a killjoy. And I think probably people like Poland Cars and and other people like that were like, man, trying to stop these people might don't, you know, there's going to be so much backlash. Maybe it'll make it worse. I don't know. I think there's, you know, you look at every little thing when it comes to COVID restrictions and everything else, there's just been so much uh, raw emotion for a lot of people for good reason. Um, you know, people losing their jobs, people, you know, losing family members, like people are, it's been a long year. And uh, I think people are afraid to get these people, anybody, you know, the, the mass is all, all riled up. And I think that's the devil's advocate part that of, and I know that, you know, Joni, we're going to kind of argue on the side of the fans. I'm the devil's advocate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's you're, been you're the devil's I advocate. He have many, but I am counters. Well, I, I, I'd like to make a point on the fan side really quick. And I think that that's where people I think are coming from. And, and maybe even the players uh, when they're encouraging this saying, you know, they probably just lost faith that fans are going to be able to be in the stadium. And they probably say, well, Cuomo's not going to change his mind. And this is how it is. Well, we want to enjoy some kind of fan reaction and interact with them somehow. Well, let's just have it be now because they're not going to be in the stadium. And I think that that's, that was probably the mindset of players and fans. I don't know, Jonah, what, what do you, what do you think on that side? Yeah, that, that is kind of the point I was going to make. You know, my personal sensibility is, as you guys have sort of explained, is that this is kind of nutty going to the airport to greet a team coming back from a road game. is not something I would do under any circumstances or really understand how that's something that these people felt was very necessary to do. But running on the field and tearing down a goalpost is also crazy. This is just what Bills fans do. They do a lot of wacky things, especially when they're all together in this groupthink type mentality. And as Heather mentioned, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that they haven't been able to gather, not just at the games in the stadium, but in the hammers lot and all the different Bills functions and parties and autograph signings that these people Even at a bar. Yeah, get yeah. together. They've Road all trips. been tweeting at each other all year, but probably haven't. There's probably Bills fans that see each other every Sunday, every single year that haven't seen each other in this year. So I sort of understand the emotional motivation that all these fans had to be part of the moment, even though celebrating a division title in the way that this city and even people in the media have in the last few days is a little over the top. But I sort of understand knowing the history and how Bills fans are, knowing a lot of Bills fans myself, uh, people that were friends of mine were there. I saw a lot of live videos on Facebook from people that went there. So I don't really blame the fans for doing what they normally do. It's Bills fans are going to Bills fan. I think that was what happened there. You know, the, the fandomonium phrase that came out of that 1988 tearing down the goalpost. That's just who these people are that support the team and go to the games. And Matt made the point earlier that I wanted to make. I think the responsibility is on the team and the players and the security at the airport and the people involved that aren't Bills fans to, if this is a bad thing that can't happen, prevent it from happening and not encourage fans to go and not 
let them know when the plane's going to land. And I think the Bills really wanted that scene. They wanted the video and the pictures. They wanted to be able to make a hype video of look at how our fans embraced us and, you know, how great our fans are and look at this scene. And, you know, yes, it was disconcerting to see fans yelling into players' cars without masks on it and you worry about what could happen to that. But it's also a little bit concerning that these players opened their windows and were embracing this from the fans. You could have the mask on while you're driving the car if you think you're going to be close to these fans. It was, uh, I think, irresponsible behavior on both sides, and the team and the players and, and the organization, I think, had the responsibility to be more responsible than the fans who are acting on their, you know, crazy base emotions. And I think that and, – and also to make a point, too, for the fans, again, I think it was – irresponsible but I'm going to I, w- I want to make that point of, of maybe the mindset and what people were thinking and even from the players standpoint I think it's easy to get caught up in the moment when there is so much emotion and it was such a monumental moment for this organization for this franchise these players that have never been a part of anything like this they know how much it means so I will say I think it's easy to get caught up in the moment and forget for a second what the bigger picture is and what's going on in the rest of the world with this pandemic in those, you know, couple minutes that they're driving or whatever. And, you know, you let your guard down. Um, I think it's easy for that to happen when there is so much emotion happening around you, but at the same time, those little slip ups is what can completely ruin um anything (laughs) i guess i expected actually um well maybe not the first thing i'm going to mention uh but i i wondered if the if the bills would put out a statement saying something along the lines of hey we love you fans we know you love us please do the responsible thing don't show up at the stadium or at the airport you know, we'll, you know, we're going to get together and we're going to, when things get back, I think that that would have helped diffuse things. If the fans knew, if the bills were able to put out a statement saying, we don't want this, um, maybe they still would have shown up anyway, or a smaller group that is much more manageable. I don't know. But the other thing that I, I thought was going to happen would be Sean McDermott at some point on the flight home, three or four hours or however long it is getting with a security detail with the bills and saying, phone ahead through the cockpit, whatever it is, to Erie County Sheriff's Department, the Cheektowaga Police Department, uh, whoever's in charge there at the airport, and clear those people out. Yeah. So we don't then then the players aren't the bad guys or the teams aren't the bad guys. The the law enforcement can just we work with them. We're these these entities constantly work together. It would have done been done quietly. The police would have come out there and said, look, you can't be here. And then the bills wouldn't have been killjoys. And it would just would have been, look, this isn't smart. Let's everybody go home. And then nobody would have even been talking about it um, by Sunday morning. It would have just kind of gone away. But it did create some great video. And um, I mean, it, 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 it was incredible. It was incredible. I just thought it was reckless. I'm interested to see what McDermott has to say when he talks today about it. I'm interested to see, seeing the kind of pushback and seeing everything that happened. I'm interested to see what his response is going to be, because I I don't think 
it can just be, yeah, that was crazy. That was so cool. I, I don't know how it can be. I think that would just send the complete wrong message. So uh, yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see what he has to say about it. He is the, the face old... of the organization. I mean, he was... is the, or and as much as Josh Allen's the franchise player. I mean, every Sean McDermott, nothing happens football wise or with those bills or anything public without Sean McDermott, uh, signing off on it, either in in specificity or in a broader sense of yeah, this is what we're going to do. Everybody, then do your jobs within this within this confine. I think that um, yeah, it'll be interesting because he wants the fans to be excited, but you can't like Heather, like you said, it's it, you can't just want want this to happen. And Matt, I mean, we even discussed this on Saturday night. How long is this going to happen? I mean, is every big game – I mean, is this now a Bills fans thing? Will it ever recede to where there's expectation? I mean, how many – how many – if as, you know, if everybody keeps covering it also, um, are the fans going to keep coming out there like they did at the after the Miami game uh, in which Cincinnati helped them get into the playoffs? And then we saw it last year. Is this now a thing? I think like you used to see tables. it here on occasion, but now is this a thing? It's like breaking tables. It's, oh, this guy got on Barstool. This guy went viral. You know, that was like barely a thing when I got here in 2014, the whole table smashing thing. Few people do it, gets on Barstool, gets retweeted, all that. And I think the same goes for, that's why, you know, bring up, uh, you know, the media outlets covering it like it was the main story is look at all this and look at when the plane lands and look at what the players had to say. And then it becomes a, a thing of like, well, yeah, you know, you're especially when the plane doesn't land till one, you could be coming down from uh, this victory and still have the news on and be like, Oh, geez, the plane lands at one o'clock. Oh, hell I can still get over there. Like, you know, and so that probably led to, I don't know, a swelling of the crowd uh, in some sense. So it's, um, I would expect Sean McDermott, like I said, has crafted uh, a message pretty carefully here and you know i think he's gonna have to tell he'll be ready on. for the question remember well, when the, the thing was mask up or back up that was like the catchphrase over the summer yeah. that came from mcdermott bill's social media is tweeting it out you know like hell yeah mask up or back up like we got we got goals we got a championship to win and it's like well what happened to that Josh, you know, when you got a maskless, topless man screaming into Josh Norman's window, like, <laughs> like people bang. Also, like, what possesses a human being to do that? Like, you can stand behind the barrier, Alcohol. but like, Alcohol. people banging on Stefan Diggs's car. Like, I love you so much that I'm going to bust your hood, man. Like, oh, I love you so much that I might, I'm going to give you this virus that might derail you for two weeks. Like, that's not showing anything except that you're a complete ass. Like, well, that's frankly, why that's like, why on Twitter, I think like there were, I think there were like multiple people that tagged me in tweets and, and some other reporters and things like that asking when the plane was landing. And I was like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not engaging in this. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's weird to have to become part of the, and it, it, there's a weird juggling act in, you know, that some media play where it's like, you know, hey, I'm going to. If I hype this up, I'm going to get lots of engagement. If I, you know, hype this up and like, you know, this is going to be our least popular podcast ever. Like people are going to 
think we're that's true a bunch of killjoys and we're peeing in people's cornflakes and and all that but like i mean frankly <laughs> it's just calling a spade a spade like you can think what you want about the virus and the lockdowns and whatever else we're getting pretty close to the finish line here and and like i you know like we've said at the very least if you love this team if you want them to make a run you would think you would have the common decency to greet them at a distance like hey thousands of us are going to stand shoulder to shoulder and potentially subject ourselves to this virus and potentially subject however many people in the community to this virus because of like whatever. I'd like but this you, to end at some point right, I, like, I like COVID to end I would like people to stop dying personally thing, I like, would like to do things that I was supposed to do this we all year. live here right we all live here and there's however many thousands of people that were there that are then going somewhere else and then so on and so forth at the very look, if you want to subject yourself to that, fine. Like I hope everybody that was there stays in their house for a week, uh, and if they have to leave the house, wear a mask. And but to go that close to the players is just beyond like mind blowing to me. Like, I woke up on Sunday morning and was just like, "What did? I, what were these people doing?" I think it's part of the culture in this so-called Bills Mafia. The same kind of brain chemistry that makes you jump through a flaming table and chug vodka out of somebody's butt crack is the same thing that leads you to go to the state and go to the airport and cheer on these teams and gather and, and wear the funny clothing that people do. And it's, you know, I, I, I'm not saying people made this conscious decision, but I think in their hearts, it's, you know, celebrating this division title, being one of eight teams in the NFL that win a division title, this monumental achievement is more important than limiting the spread of coronavirus and keeping yourself and your family healthy and keeping these players healthy. You know, having that raging party you and want to race the with four teams is the goal in life. It's not nothing. Were there four teams in it? One of them is one in 13. Like. Well, from a mathematical standpoint, you, you won something that had only three other teams in it. I saw in Peter King's column today that the Bills had conquered Mount Belichick. Like, give me a break. Tom Brady left last year. I'm not to, not to diminish what the Bills did. Like, they thoroughly and very emphatically won this division. Um, took advantage, timing-wise, build-wise, to coincide perfectly with things falling apart in New England. But things are coming apart in New England. Like, the Bills didn't conquer the Patriots. That would have been last year. This year, they just owned the division. And Tony Sperano, Chad Pennington, and Ronnie Brown conquered Mount Belichick in 2008. Um, even they didn't because Brady you guys remember what happened to all right? those guys, you know, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know that it, there's some hyperbole involved. It's very cool that they won the division for the first time in 25 years, but probably more so for the fact that it feels like they could do it time and time again, not because they beat a Patriots team that can't, has no semblance of a passing offense and had like five defensive starters. The Patriots weren't ever the threat. It was the dolphins. And that's not the end goal here for this team either. And for the, you know, the veterans in the locker room have made that point. Like they're not here to win a division They're That's one step to, to bigger things, but. Um, it was also yeah. expected. Like it, like they expected. They were the betting favorite. The yeah. Like they expected to win the division this year. Um, yeah. So it's a great accomplishment, but I don't like to see that people put that as bigger than stopping the spread of COVID. The the prime objective right now until the first round of the playoffs is to stay healthy and to bring this conversation full circle. What happened 
at one o'clock Sunday morning was not in that script for sure. You added unnecessary variables to the Bills' future success, their, their immediate future success. And let's say nothing ever happens. That's fine. But that, didn't, that doesn't uh, erase the fact that the risk uh, was, was introduced. There's now a non-zero chance. This is something you need to know. And I think also what uh, anybody listening, if they're upset, um, this is who you boycott. Uh, Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Uh, uh, CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote or to call and complain about Tim Graham and Friends, call (laughs) 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Any closing thoughts? Anything we need to add to wrap things up to make sure that we get both sides of the story? To make sure that 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 shirtless guy screaming in Josh Norman's passenger window um, is given uh, his proper justice, that uh, that his side is is laid out for everyone. I'll say, look, it's been a long year, right? Like any sliver of normalcy that people can find, they want it. Um, They crave it. We've all probably all been there uh, at various points in 2020. That was normalcy. For some people, that was normal. Um, and I know we can't um, necessarily put ourselves in the frame of mind where it's normal to scream into a stranger's car, but to some people, what happened on Saturday night was that, I guess, you know, feeling that community, feeling that, um, that what you get at a sporting event, the, the large crowd. Um, but I think all along those things in particular, um, even the people that, deny this virus, you know, or, or push back against the lockdowns or whatever else would have to agree that mass gatherings are one of the last things we get back. Um, and it feels like when we do have a full stadium, hopefully whenever there's a full stadium, it was earned, uh, because the virus is gone. Um, and as long as it's there, stuff like that will be cringeworthy. Um, and as long as it's out there that what people were doing is going to be a terrible terrible look i actually uh yeah no i agree with everything you said because um i think people just need to keep that bigger picture and that end goal of ending this virus in mind uh when making certain decisions uh i actually gotta hop off i'm i know tim i know you've talked to him i'm actually talking to eric molds at one and it's one o'clock so i gotta go guys i will i will thank you so much for having me i hope we can do this again he had the record, and he never played for a division winner. He was drafted in 1996, so he missed out on any division titles while setting all those records. All right, thanks, Heather. We'll wrap up yes. without you. Thank you so much. See you guys Take soon. Care. Thanks for being a guest. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I will. Jonah, your closing thoughts? Anything you want to say now that Heather's gone? Maybe yeah, uh, finally. No. Um, <laughs> No, I, I think we covered all of it. I mean, one thought I have is that 
it does appear that the at least the Bills believe they have a plan to allow however many fans, 10,000 something, some small number of fans. They in. do, and it's been proposed to the governor, and it's been awaiting some sort of some sort of approval or, you know, it's, it's waiting right. to be enacted yeah, if the and, governor so chooses. And maybe they do have a sensible plan that the governor approves and it allows a certain number of people to be in the stands for that game, friends and family and people like that. But I think what we saw at the airport the other night is that what do you do if you let 7,000 fans in, what do you do about the other 70,000 that are going to want to gather in the parking lots or gather in whatever open space they're able to and maybe you can't prevent that. And the only way to mitigate against that is to keep the stadium closed and not let anybody in, because how can you say we are allowing these people in, but you have to stay home. You can't gather anywhere privately or any open space where you can bring your tables and your, you know, your Pinto and, and whatever you guys do with your food. You can't do that, which is so much a part of being a Bills fan, almost more so than going to the games and watching the games. It's these, you know, Bills fan gatherings. And, and I just don't know how you can have a playoff game with some fans and not have these big swells of people gathering somewhere else. Whatever Erie County sheriffs and Orchard Park police do to keep people out of those lots, those public lots uh, on Sundays, because they made it clear that you weren't going to be down there tailgating if there weren't any fans. Whatever they did, I'm just surprised they didn't do that at the airport because they had to have known that this was going to happen. And they had several hours lead time. Uh, they, they probably should have been ready for it week in advance. Um, but even once it became clear that this was going to be a thing, uh, that they couldn't have been mobilized to clear those to make sure that the, that the gathering didn't happen to begin with. Um, but then we wouldn't have had that great footage. That's true. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have had that for the uh, the playoff hype video. Be curious to see if it's the type of thing that gets folded into that. How much they embrace. There has not been all that. We'll much find backlash. out on Sunday, right? Because the it's another road game, and the Bills will probably win, or they should win, uh, in Foxborough, and the fans will be excited about that not because of a division title, but because it's a win in Foxborough. They won't be at the airport after they beat the Patriots, I don't think. They might. Monday night football. Monday night football, that's going to be, what, three in the morning they get Look, back? Well, maybe it's, not. because If it's, it's allowed, some of these people will go. You know what? It might, it might be, it won't be as much of an event as it was, but there will be people there. You might be right that it will be viewed as, uh, hey. It's a new thing those, to do. Those people could do it. This is my way to say hi to the Bills. I usually go to my one game a year. Maybe I'll go to my one airport gathering a year instead. You know, like or like we were talking earlier, it's a thing now. This could just be a standard thing now, especially because they're not going to have an airport to gather at in the playoff game because it's going to be at home, right? So it's the yeah. last chance. The well, last what about chance. and it's Christmas break, and- so you'll have some people who aren't don't need to get up on Tuesday morning. I'm sorry, Jonah. What, what's well, I was going to say, you know, if they go on the road and lose in a playoff game, then you got kind of the gathering at Niagara Square to, you know, thank Scott Norwood for missing a field goal type dynamic. I feel like you'll get a lot of Well, they that. did that last year when they lost to Houston. That was a huge um, gathering. Yeah, so that's the coming. There's going to be coming. more, you know, parties at the airport, parties in the plaza at the I airport. I mean, I feel like it should be like 
pandemic aside, the the ruling on airports should be like, you know, same as like storming the court or, you know, storming the field. Like if you beat the Patriots who've already been eliminated from the playoffs, like that's like Clemson, you know, storming the field after beating Pitt, you know, like it's supposed to happen. Like at some point you got to act like there were some people that like, like I said, you know, I get that people have this like real desire to like it it really sucks for fans that the best team they've had in 25 years happens to come in the year where they can't be there at all and but there were like you know some people not a ton but just some that went by the stadium to hang out after the game it was like all lit up with afc's chant and take pictures and like i don't know just like get out and about and feel like they were there and just like be there and appreciate the moment like there's just such a big difference between the, the majority of fans who enjoyed this responsibly and like adults and handled themselves and enjoyed it earnestly and wholesomely. And then you had probably a couple thousand uh, that just behaved like children, essentially, that had been told, you know, oh, you, you know, you can't do this, but oh, we'll, we'll do this and just scream and yell. And there was all sorts of trash left behind, you know, it's just like, I don't know, you know, it is but what's done. Think is done. about the hype video. I mean, how much do we love those? And especially as a journalist, it, you always want to see what the hype video looks like in the end and how you got there isn't quite. I wonder if the Bills will use the it. Video looks like. If Sean well, McDermott does saying. not condone this, then it may not appear in the hype video. That's what I'm curious about because they'll probably do like a hype video heading into the playoffs, and that would be logical footage to have. But there's just a, you know, there's an element of optics at play here um, that isn't normally, you know, something that they have to think about when it comes to the crowds and everything else. And um, I'll be curious to see what, what Sean says and, and yeah, how much they use it going forward as whether it's now or if they don't use it now, they'll slip it in at some point in the future, right? When this is all behind us, everybody's had a vaccine. It'll be like, man, remember that scene at the airport, best fans in the league. It's like, or maybe, you know, other fans are just like, Hey, maybe I shouldn't go gather by the thousands uh, for winning a, a division championship like but do you tim do you have a or matt do you have an impression that that's coming that, that sean mcdermott didn't condone it and is going to say something about it because i saw a lot of maybe not explicitly but a lot of condoning from bill's players and people in the organization it seems like they very much wanted and and media so frankly frankly um the question is probably going to be posed early on as a you know, what, what, how about that scene? And it'll be like, man, unbelievable, huh? Like best fans, you know, there it's just love our fans, man. Love those guys. And unless the question gets asked, which, you know, I'll raise my hand, but um, you're right. There's probably a lot of people that don't have that top of mind to ask them about, or, you know, there's, it's kind of floated by as, like I said, nationally, I think people look at it and say, what the hell are these people doing? Uh, but locally, like, look at Tim probably has the firsthand uh, data points better than anybody with his tweet yesterday. And all the replies to it are like, come on, man. Like, really? Like, you know, you're really going to really going to, you know, do this to the fans like they're just trying to enjoy themselves. Don't be the fun police. Like, so I don't know. I would assume he's prepared for it. He's had 48 hours. Normally he talks the day after a game. Um He's had, you know, about almost 48 hours. The same concerns that I posed at the very beginning of introducing this topic 
of getting sick potentially or adding just the, the, the added, even if it's two percentage points higher, uh, possibility of getting actually contracting COVID um, and fans in the stands. Those are two things that Sean McDermott is interested in. He would love to have fans in the stands for the playoff game. They've been saying it, it since adds the beginning. that much of a, an advantage to the team on, on the scoreboard. Yeah, even um, if you don't, even if you don't want to take anything we're saying about the community and the spread of this thing seriously, if that's not, if you're probably, you probably turned this off a long time ago, if that's you, but um, even if none of that is important to you and you think we're being alarmist, you would think that you would care about what you just talked about, the health of the players and the possibility of fans in the stands, both of which were put in jeopardy by what, you know, call it a, a very loud and unruly minority if you want, but they're the, they put that in jeopardy um, by what they did on early Sunday morning. I and I think Sean McDermott that's would, a, would appreciate factual. that. I think Sean McDermott would probably got in his car or got home and thought, yeah, uh, he was, that was probably worrying him. Like th- the number one thing I bet that was worrying him was the, the health and safety of his players. Number one above all else. And that was clearly not worrying, you know, a handful of people that, that needed to get up close to the cars. Well, so much for a short show today. We had some things on our and We're still about so an much hour. more we could talk about. Well, my thanks to Heather Prusak of Channel 4 for coming on. My thanks, as always, to Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic and Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Global Systems. Um, until next time, have a Merry Christmas. All the happy holidays. Um, because I am not trying to eliminate happy holidays until next time. Oh, uh, Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK.